conclude by going over to 2 Samuel 11. 1 Samuel 21, as we continue our study slipping away, I must tell you, uh, just a fair warning, this message did not go over very well at 9.30, so let's see how it goes at 11 o'clock. Today's message is really not a fun message, but it's almost like medicine. Uh, you're here, and you have a family, you have a marriage, you have children, you have plan on having grandchildren, you want to set a spiritual legacy in your family, this is a very important message for you today. Bell started playing uh, checkers, and I love this. My grandfather from uh, Indiana, which is where I grew up, he taught me how to play checkers. So I started playing checkers with her, and then a few years went by, and somebody even introduced her to chess at school. And so she brought home a chess thing, and she wanted to play chess with me, and uh, being the good uh, parent that I am, not raising a little snowflake who wants a ribbon just for participating, I beat her every single time. And uh, she learned how to play chess by losing to me. And so she was losing again, and she had beat me once, and she was so sad at that, because I didn't win. I let her really beat me and stuff. So we were playing it, and so we were, she was having a tough time, and then Sandra said, why don't you just go back to checkers for a while? I said, okay, well, let's play checkers. And she got up and walked, started to walk away, and I said, where are you going? And she said, some of you won't get this. She said, I'm going to go get the checkerboard. to destroy 
first, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, you say, oh, Pastor, you don't really believe in Satan or anything like that. Well, Jesus did. Jesus believed in Satan. He believed in the real devil. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So where do you fit? Are you just playing checkers and reacting to things in your life, or do you have a grand plan? Here's the crazy thing about this, because many of you in here are very responsible with your money. Right? And you are already setting aside things for 401ks. You already have your, you're thinking about your retirement with your, your company. You've got this laid out, but we'll sell this, we'll live on this. As long as we don't live past 90, we're okay. You know, you've got that all planned out. Many of you young people are here. You've got things about your life. By the way, if you're 18 and you don't know what you want to do with the rest of your life, that's okay. In fact, if you're 18, you probably shouldn't know what you want to do with the rest of your life, and it'll change. But you've got an idea. You say, well, I'm going to go to this college, or I'm going to get this training. Eventually, I want to meet a guy like this or a girl like this or whatever family. My ultimate plan is to live here or this zip code. I have some sort of a plan. We plan out so many things in our lives, but have you stopped and thought about planning for your spiritual success? You see, once you accept Christ as your personal Savior, Satan develops a plan to steal your joy from you. He wants to rob your joy. And then if you get serious with him, Satan has a plan to try to derail that plan. He's got a, 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 plan, a strategy in place to derail you from actually getting serious. And then if you do something crazy, like dedicate your family to God, Satan's got a plan to destroy the spiritual life of your kids today. Satan's got a plan to destroy and get your kids out of church, get your grandkids out of church. He already has this plan. He's got it laid out, and he is playing chess. And you are playing checkers. And we wonder why we lose. And we wonder why we lose a generation to the world. We wonder why when kids graduate high school, 90% of them graduate from their faith, and they don't come back until they're about 30, and they come back with addictions and issues and struggles in their life because they wandered off in the world. Mom and Dad, what is your spiritual plan for your son? When I suggest this to you today, and I don't mean this harshly, this is medicine today. But if you do not have a spiritual plan for your child, you are practicing malpractice parenting. Seriously. Your, your, your kids should not be taken away from you by the state, but you need to be very careful. But maybe your kids should be taken away from you spiritually because you don't have a plan. How is your son going to accept Christ? How are you going to instill these values and these principles into your daughter's life? Because right now, I don't care if they're sixth grade or they're 18. Satan's trying to influence them morally ethically, every possible way. You say, well, my son will never do heroin. Oh, that's great if your son doesn't do heroin. But maybe that's not the way Satan's going to get him. Maybe he's going to do it through materialism. You say, well, my daughter is a picture of virtue. My daughter will never have a child that way. I'm glad you're doing that. I'm glad you're raising a daughter with that. But that doesn't mean your daughter can't get enticed by materialism. That doesn't mean your daughter can't get enticed by something else or a relationship with a, he's a nice boy, Listen, I'm going to ask you this, parents. What are you doing right now to ensure the fact that your daughter marries a believer in Jesus Christ? What is your plan? What is your strategy? Well, Pastor, she's fine. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to blink your eyes. She's going to be 15. You're going to blink your eye again. She's going to be 25. You say, well, I just want my daughter to marry a good, responsible young man. I don't. Not enough. I told my kids it is not enough. 
change in marrying somebody else instead of prayer is not enough. I want them to marry somebody with a fire for Jesus. I want my daughter to marry a spiritual leader, not a TikTok. So what's your plan to do that? Well, I'm just going to sort of hope she runs into him at the mall. This is why 930 didn't work for me. Because most of the 930s I was about through this, you know what, 930 didn't have a plan. They had no way of, of doing this, and their daughter married a loser. And their grandkids aren't in church because their daughter married a loser. What's your plan? I'm glad you have a 401k. I'm glad you got a retirement plan. I'm glad you have thought about what school you want to go to, and maybe we can research what, what type of uh, uh, job pays more. I'm glad you have that, because Satan has a plan to destroy your life. And all we're doing is playing chess checkers while Satan is playing chess and he lures us into a trap. You need to be ready. Now here's a little story. Here's a little, it's a joke. You don't have a sense of humor, that's why. But anyway, it's a joke. This is a joke about a man who did not have a plan. Alright, he wasn't ready for when his time came. A husband and wife are getting ready for bed. The wife is standing in front of a full-length mirror and taking a hard look at herself. You know, dear, she says, I look in the mirror and I see an old man. My face is all wrinkled, my hair is gray, my shoulders are hunched, my legs are fat, my arms are flabby. She turns to her husband and with tears in her eyes says, tell me something positive to make myself, myself feel better. Tell me something positive about myself. The husband without a plan studies her, looks at her and says, well, at least there's nothing wrong with your eyesight.
Number four, the spiritualized flipping way. Watch Satan twist that. Satan convinces us to compromise. Look at verse four. And the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread under my arm, my hand, but there is hallowed bread. If thy young man have kept thyself and thyself at least for women. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Here's a spiritual truth. Spiritual truth. Show this up right here. Spiritual compromise is making anything more important than Jesus. See, you thought I was going to say spiritual compromise is when you dabble in Satanism. No. Spiritual compromise is when you make these horrible decisions. You, you, you cheat on your wife. You you, you invest in something that's bad and you lose all of your inheritance. That's what a spiritual, it's that thing. Spiritual compromise is when you start to do heroin. No. Spiritual compromise is anything you make more important than Jesus. It can be something as silly as sports. It can be something, listen, it can be something like your kids. Well, I can't serve God because I'm too busy taking my kids to here, to here, to there, or doing this. Well, I can't serve God because of my family. You need to be very careful. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, this doesn't apply to you. You're not in the club. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, anything you make an excuse to not serve God, God will remove. And if you make your kids the excuse to not serve God, or your marriage or your family, well, Pastor Steve, I need to I need to provide for my family, and and that's why I work extra and stuff, and that's why I work on Sundays and stuff. Listen, I understand we have men in the, and, and ladies in this church who are required; they have to work on Sundays periodically. There's a difference between working on Sunday and volunteering on Sunday. And I want to remind you again: if you work on Sunday morning, it's a great thing that you have a church that has a Sunday night service. Anything you place that's more important than Jesus. It's going to be a compromise. And you know one of the things Jesus, excuse me, Satan loves to do to make a, a, a compromise on? Religion. Oh, what is it about you and Jesus? You put him on an island, he'll start worshiping the rock. And then the people who worship the rock will kill the people who worship the law because they're not worshiping the right rock. And why do people love it? They just love to fall into it because religion causes us to focus on ourselves. We focus on us. We focus on our man-made rules. We focus on all these silly little things. We love religion. The very first compromise Satan wants to do, why is it in the right place? Is to get you to focus on yourself. And one of the ways he'll do that is religion. Listen, this next week we're going to be doing VBS. We're going to be, I guess if you looked at this, Jamie, if we did this by business, we're wasting money. If you did this on a budget sheet and an analysis of it, somebody could come in and say, you're going to be spending money on these blow-ups. They're going to be bounce houses out there. And you're going to be buying bought like water balloons at Doors and that's amazing if you blow them up big and stuff. <laughs> on Wednesday, when you're supposed to get wet doors, not today after you eat the junk. But, but anyways, we're going to have the air conditioner on. We've spent money on doing different things. And R2, my wife has already said R2D2 is going to January. Don't get me wrong, we like that. So, but I mean, we've spent money on all this stuff. We're going to be picking up kids on the bus and everything. Look. Our goal is to reach boys and girls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. This week, there's going to be some boy or some girl getting into prison. Yeah. And while they're doing all these crazy things and they're going to sing verses so that they can come up here and win a prize, they don't understand that we're going to be flipping God's word into their hearts. And 
Uh, they're waiting to go out and get the Death Star and make a laser and do all the praise pages with Lord and throw water balloons and stuff. Uh, but Ken and, and Bruce and our teachers are going to be suddenly slip into God's will and just be first to do what they want. Everything we do is to point people to Jesus. Amen. But religion will pull you outside and say, look, George said this. Never thought I'd come into church and see you start dinner. I like that. I was saved something positive about Oakland Lake there for a second, and we were talking about Dylan and I said, well, how about Stoneway? And we talked about it. And then, yeah, but is someone going to complain? Dylan fans are very stony. Yes, you know. Religion, right? Nobody is saying anything about that. Thank you. Isn't for you. It has 
as gray as some trendy new car, I said, listen, this is what we This is here's a list of towards our young people, our young adults, and our teenagers. This is geared toward them. And we told them this from different things. And I said, we're going to do a whole bunch of other stuff on here. And you know what? None of it's for you. If it was for you, we'd paint it beige. <laughs> we'd make it simple. We'd make it look as old. We'd make it nice. We'd do all this. I said, but it's not for you. Look, Satan wants us to get confused about stealing what makes well. Let me remind you. 
mind you these three things. Turn over to 2 Samuel 11. These three things. In 2 Samuel 11, David is going to make a mistake. Everybody knows a few things about David. They know David and Goliath, and they know David and Bathsheba. And that's what this is. It's David and Bathsheba. And David is going to make a mistake. Not only will this mistake cost his sons and his children their spiritual life, it will cost them their physical life. Not only will it cost them their physical life, thousands of people are going to die because of the mistake David makes here. And all of this was created in 1 Samuel chapter 21 because Satan said he convinced him to compromise, he challenged his concept of sin, and he coaxed him to give in. So here's David in 2 Samuel 11. Watch the first thing. Watch Satan try to get him to compromise. Verse 1, David should be with his men, and instead, and it came to pass that the year was expired, and the time went, the king so forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him. Well, who's supposed to go? Kings are supposed to go, but instead, David finds a compromise. I I'm just going to send Joab in my place. Well, it's okay. I'm supposed to do it, but I'll just send somebody in my place, and, th and that'll work. And his servants, him, and all of Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and the sheep raven. But David tarries still in Jerusalem. He gets them to compromise, and here starts the problem. Look at the second thing, verse 2. He's going to challenge his concept of sin. What we're about to see, listen, I know men. I know boys. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I am one. If you're not aware of it, shame on me. But anyway, I know how men operate. What we're about to see, we're about to watch the king of Israel become a peeping Tom. But here in verse 2, this is not the first time he did this. It is not. But his concept of sin gets slowly challenged before. And I told this to young men because a lot of good young men who love Jesus, and I've had this conversation, and they're kind of like, Pastor, I have a problem. And I say, what's the problem? I really, really know this girl. What's the problem? <laughs> Let me tell you something, men, young, young men and, and older men. There's nothing wrong with noticing a pretty girl. As long as she's in your age group. If you're like 50 and you're looking at a 20-year-old, you're, don't do that. You're, there's something wrong with you, okay? But anyway, there's nothing wrong with, if you're 50 and you notice another 50-year-old pretty girl walking by at the mall, cool, okay? You know what's wrong with that? God designed you to be visible. He designed that. So there's nothing wrong. Every man, every boy, every guy in here who, who thinks girls are pretty, say amen. Yes, all right? That was really weak. I think I'm in the wrong church. If you're a man in here, if you are XY chromosome and you think XX chromosomes are really pretty, say amen. amen. Yeah, women are awesome. There's nothing about a man that's defeating it, but women are awesome, okay? You notice a pretty girl. There's nothing wrong with that. The fact that David first went over here and noticed this woman bathing, there's nothing wrong with it. The problem? That he's welcome. You see something that's pretty and attractive? Are you bringing it to your mind? And start thinking about it. There's that lady at the office and she kind of walked by and she kind of flirted with you and you, you sort of noticed as she walked away. Do you take it to the cross and kill it or do you start it to grow? Because what happens like David, it slowly erodes and starts to grow in your mind. Eventually it will go to your heart and it will cut out your hands and it will destroy your life. This is not the first time David came over to this edge of the building and went, wow, there's a naked pretty girl. Not the first time. But the first time he should have seen, he saw that, and then gone back, gone spiritually and take it to God and say, Lord, I don't want this, and repent, and build a wall there, or go tell this chick to bathe somewhere else. He doesn't do that. So what happens here in verse 2? And it came to pass at evening time, because David knew this would happen. Everybody's gone, he's home alone. 
internet's there, there's nobody around. And David arose off from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, not the first time. And the woman was so-so. No, they say it. The woman was his. The woman looked like his grandma. No. The woman was very beautiful to look at. These young people, listen to me. That's how Satan operates. Everything he shows you is going to be attractive and good-looking. You know, they, they, they do the beer commercials. It's all these good-looking young people and people, girls in bikinis and stuff like that. They never show you the guy with the big beer belly who's burping going, hey, this Coors for you. They never show you. I don't even know if that's what they're doing. I don't know. Is, is that Coors Motto again? Don't answer. There you go. Don't answer. You don't know either, right? But seriously, they never show you. They make it look enticing. And right now, most of you young people are at verse 2. Satan's going to entice you with something. It could be something like a beautiful woman. It could be a job. It could be a career that's going to take you away from God. It could be drugs and alcohol. There's something that's enticing you. Say, Pastor, how do I know? Because every human being who has a cult has something enticing them. What are you going to do, though? There's no... There's nothing wrong with being tempted. Everyone in this room is tempted. Some of you last night, your wife went to bed, you were tempted. You went down and got ice cream out of the refrigerator when you weren't paying attention. You know you're not supposed to. You're putting your throat, you're scared, you're getting close to diabetes and stuff. You know your blood sugar's too high, you had a test, you didn't do it, right? Right? You were tempted in. Temptation is not the problem. You're always going to be tempted. The temptation, the, the answer is how you were prepared. Satan is playing checkers.
But things are different now, Pastor. No, things are different. We've dumbed down and we've said some deviancy is normal, but God's standards have never changed. And by the way, God knows better than me. If you follow God's standards, you're going to have a much better life. Things get more things get so complicated when you get involved in following Jesus Christ. David has fallen into it. What's going to happen? Well, he's playing checkers and Satan's playing chess. So what's your plan? What's your spiritual, what's your family plan? How are you gonna, Sandra and I, I talked with her this weekend, so we kind of sat down. This is sort of our plan. Your plan might look different. Maybe some things on my plan should be on your plan. Uh, my situation is different than yours. My kids are older or younger than yours. Whatever. You might have different issues and struggles than ours do. This is our plan, right? So let's come up with some things that are our plan. First off, active family and church. Our church family is actively involved in church. You're making a poor decision when you allow your church kids to miss church, when you allow them not to be involved. I'm telling you this right now. I am here today because of the men that my parents introduced me at First Baptist of Washington because I was actively involved. One of them, two of them were my youth pastors. They were deacons at the time, Jim, Deacon, who got sucked in and raised their hand at the wrong meeting, got to be the youth pastor and stuff. Two of them were that. Others were just great men of God. And when I was struggling with my faith, and every person in here does when they're young, it was the connection that I had with a student pastor, with a deacon, or with just a guy I did a bus route with. It was those connections that helped stabilize me. Every person who made an influence on me for Jesus had something in common. They all were members of First Baptist of Washington. Your kid's t-ball coach is not going to do that for them. Your daughter's boss well, she's got to get a job and she has to work and that's where it starts. You pull your kids out of church. Look, I want to say this to you. Keeping your kids in church does not guarantee their spiritual success. Because I've seen kids who were Christian school, homeschool, public school, I've seen the thing, I've seen failure rates on all of us. But I can tell you this right now. You almost guarantee their failure if you do pull them out of church. This man right here? If, if you're a teenager, don't know him. You're making a poor decision. Ted's a nice guy. Good role model for any of these girls or dad, boys or girls who want to be a man that's supposed to act like that. I've had the opportunity to know Ted. Now, Jim Merrill's another story. <laughs> I'll say the same thing about Jim Merrill. I've, I've told him this many times. I'm glad my son had the opportunity to watch how you took care of your wife. Because he has a wife with no excuses. Models of be consistent, consistent. Well, we're going to serve Jesus this week, but next week, you never know, we need something, we might go up north. We're going to serve Jesus in the summer, but football's coming in the fall, right? Ken, look at you. You look good. Take that shirt off, too. Football's <laughs> coming in the fall, right? Listen, if you're, if you're thinking about football, I'm going to say, spoiler alert, the Lions will lose there. Enjoy the fall. The leaves change color. It's beautiful. Michigan is beautiful. But anyway, we're going to follow Jesus until something else comes out consistently. And the other one, lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. My kids can choose whatever they want when they're 18. They can make their own choices. Now, if they don't follow my basic rules, they can pay their own car insurance, they can pay their own cell phone, and they can move out. There's some things that we say. You're going to go to our church, you're going to be there, you're not going to do drugs or alcohol or anything else. If you want to do that after 18, you can make that choice on your own, but you will not get my money. My money comes with strings attached to your foolishness you don't do that. Amen? But we're going to understand something. My kids can make their own choice, and they will. Adults make their own choices. 
And to not be able to stand up and say, yeah, well, my dad preached against this, but at home, this is what he did. Yeah, well, my mom in front of everybody in church was this way, but at home, maybe she's just as crazy at home as I am. <laughs> you know what, lastly, walls of protection. Girls, what's your wall of protection from going out with the wrong guy? Do you have somebody in your life who gets to tell you no? I, I want to go out with this guy, and I think, well, who gets to tell you he's a bad guy? You know, then who, who gets to tell you that girl is not for you? Well, no one gets to, you have no walls of protection, you will fail. Who gets to put, where are your walls? I've had people laugh at me, and because I don't try to stay alone and struggle with women. I don't ride in cars with girls alone that aren't my wife or my family, and I try to do a whole bunch of stuff. One time I had to go help somebody and pick them up, so I got the church bus, and it was amazing and stuff. I only had to drive it like two blocks, but put my wife on speakerphone, and I'm like, hey, Jason, how's it going? Let's talk. And there was nothing I could do because everyone was gone, so I had to pick her up and everything. He's all pastor. That's just silly. I might be silly to you, but those are walls of protection. But David had walls of protection in his life, people who were looking out at what he was looking. If his, one of his wives, he should have had more than one, but if one of his wives had the opportunity to go up there and say, hey, David, who's this girl over here? I think I'm going to go talk to this girl and tell her to put her clothes on. Because maybe that girl knew David was watching. Where are your walls of protection? Isn't it interesting? You will talk to an old girlfriend on Facebook differently if your wife is in the room and reading it. I guess I'm the only one. Wouldn't you make different business deals if every week you had to present it before the church and say, this is what I did. That, that was poor. Why did you make that? Why did you, that was cheating. You're lying. Wouldn't you live differently? Wouldn't you go to different websites if you had a program that was one of your websites and an email to your wife? Hey, if you are a GoPro and then you got your wife and family got to see it, wouldn't you act differently? I know I would. You'd drive differently, right? If we all got to watch how you drive and somebody cut you up or, or, or somebody challenged you at a red light on a Sunday, right? You would drive differently. So where are your, what's your plan? I don't have one, Pastor. Playing checkers, Satan's playing chess. You can take mine, you can steal some of mine, but you lose your own. I have been studying the Civil War this week, especially Gettysburg. I just find it fascinating. Our nation really hinged on Gettysburg. It took place July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, three days there in that little town in central Pennsylvania. There's so many fascinating things because the the North attacked from the South, and the South attacked from the North. Just funny things like that. And it all started because the South was going and looking for shoes, you know? Just crazy little things. And it, one thing snowballed and ended up being 85,000 people from the Union and 65,000 from the Confederacy. And the battle was going back. And literally, I mean, our nation hinged there that day for three days there in July in 1863 in the field of Gettysburg. But one of the most important parts of that battle took place that really saved our Union <coughs> The South was never going to beat the North. They were just going to fight for as long. They could still be a Confederacy possibly today if this event didn't happen. There was a man by the name of Joshua Lord Chamberlain. He was a school teacher in Maine, and he joined us. And he was in charge of the 20th Maine, the 20th Maine group. And there was a place called Little Round Top. And he was charged at the very end of the Union line, and he was told to keep that little hill, keep that place, because if the South had got it, they could have put 
Amen. 